Section 15 of Lucretia Borgia by Ferdinand Gregorovius. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Emily Maynard. Book 1, Chapter 15, Misfortunes of Caterina Sforza. The Jubilee year 1500 was a fortunate one for Caesar, but an unhappy one for Lucretia. She began it January 1st with a formal passage to the Lateran, whither she went to make the prescribed pilgrimage to the Roman churches. She rode upon a richly caparisoned genet, her escort consisting of two hundred mounted nobles, men and women. On her left was her consort, Don Alfonso, on her right one of the ladies of her court, and behind them came the captain of the papal guard, Rodrigo Borgia. While she and her retinue were crossing over the bridge of Sant'Angelo, her father stood in a loggia of the castle, feasting his eyes upon his beloved daughter. The new year brought Alexander only good news, if we accept that of the death of the cardinal-legate Giovanni Borgia, bishop of Melfi and archbishop of Capua, who was known as the Younger to distinguish him from another cardinal of the same name. He died in Urbino, January 8, 1500, of a fever, according to a statement made by Elisabetta, consort of Guidobaldo, to her brother Gonzaga, in a letter written from Fossombrone on the same day. Caesar was in Forli when he received the news of the cardinal's death, the very morning, January 12th, on which the stronghold surrendered to him. He at once conveyed the information to the Duke of Ferrara in a letter, in which he said that Giovanni Borgia had been called to Rome by the Pope, and having set out from Forli, had died suddenly in Urbina of a flux. The fact that he had been in Caesar's camp, and that, according to Elisabetta's letter, he had been taken sick in Urbino, lent some probability to the suspicion that he had been poisoned. It is worthy of note that Caesar, in his letter to the Duke, speaks of the deceased as his brother, and Ercole, in offering him his condolences January 18th on the death of the Cardinal, also called him Caesar's brother. Are we thereby warranted in concluding that the younger Giovanni Borgia was a son of Alexander the Sixth? Further, the Ferrarese chronicler Zambotto, speaking of the cardinal's death, uses the expression, son of Pope Alexander. If this was the case, the number of Alexander's children must be increased, for Ludovico Borgia was also his son. This Borgia, who succeeded to Giovanni's benefices, was Archbishop of Valencia and subsequently cardinal. He reported his promotion to the Marchioness Gonzaga in a letter in which he everywhere speaks of the deceased as his brother, just as Caesar had done. These statements, however, do not refute the hitherto generally accepted opinion regarding the descent of Giovanni Borgia the Younger, and Zambotta certainly was in error. The word fratre, which he uses in his letter, means merely dear cousin, fratello cugino. January 14th, news reached the Vatican that Caesar had taken the castle of Forli. After a brave resistance, Caterina Sforza Riario, together with her two brothers, was compelled to surrender. The grandchild of the great Francesco Sforza of Milan, the natural daughter of Galeazzo Maria and the illegitimate sister of Blanca, wife of Emperor Maximilian, was the ideal of the heroic women of Italy, who were found not only in Bogiardo's and Ariosto's poems, but also in real life. Her nature exceeded the feminine and verged on caricature. To understand the evolution of such personalities, in whom beauty and culture, courage and reason, sensuality and cruelty, combine to produce a strange organism, we must be familiar with the conditions from which they sprang. 
Caterina Sforza's experiences made her the Amazon that she was. At an early age, she was married to the rude nephew of Sixtus IV, Girolamo Riario, Count of Forlì. Shortly afterwards, her terrible father met a tyrant's death in Milan. Then her husband fell beneath the daggers of the conspirators, who flung his naked body from a window of the stronghold of Forlì. Caterina, however, with determined courage, succeeded in keeping the castle for her children, and she avenged her husband's death with ferocious cruelty. Subsequently, she was known, to quote Marino Sanuto's words, as a courageous woman and a cruel virago. Six years later, she saw her brother Gian Galeazzo die of poison administered by Ludovico il Moro, while before her very eyes her second, but not openly recognized husband, Giacomo Feo of Savona, was slain in Forlì by conspirators. She immediately mounted her charger, and at the head of her guard pursued the murderers to their quarter, where she had every living being, men, women, and children, hacked to pieces. She buried a third lover, Giovanni Medici, in 1497. With cunning and force, this Amazon ruled her little domain until she herself finally fell into Caesar's hands. Few lamented her fate. When the news reached Milan that she was in the Duke's power, and consequently also in that of Pope Alexander, the celebrated general Gian Giacomo Trivulzio made a jesting remark which clearly shows how little her fate grieved the people. According to the stories of the day, Caesar led her to Rome in golden chains, like another queen of Palmyra. He entered the city in triumph, February 26, and the Pope assigned the Belvedere to the captive for her abode. The city was filled at that time with the faithful, who had come to receive absolution for their sins, this the jubilee year, and from a Borgia. Among the number was Elisabetta Gonzaga, consort of Guidobaldo of Urbino. The pilgrimage of this famous woman was a dangerous experiment, the Pope having secretly placed Urbino on the list of proscribed cities included in the church fiefs. Caesar already looked upon it as his property. The thought of meeting this Borgia in Rome must have been exceedingly painful to her. How easily might he have found a pretext for keeping her prisoner? Her brother, Francesco Gonzaga, warned her against her decision, but on her way to Rome she wrote him a letter so remarkable and so amiable that we quote it at length. Illustrious Prince and Lord, Honored Brother, I have left Urbino and set out for Rome for the purpose of receiving absolution, this the Jubilee year. Several days ago I informed Your Excellency of my prospective journey. Only today, in Assisi, did I receive your letter. I understand from what you write that you wish me to abandon this journey, perhaps thinking that I have not yet set out, which grieves me greatly and causes me unspeakable pain, because I wish in this, as in all other things, to do Your Majesty's will, having always looked upon you as my most honored father, and never having any thought or purpose but to follow your wishes. However, as I have said, I am now on the way and am out of the country. With the help of Fabritius, Colonna, and Madonna Agnesina, my honored sister-in-law and sister, I have made arrangements for a residence in Rome, and for whatever may be necessary for my comfort. I have also informed them that I would be in Marino four days hence, and consequently Fabritius has gone to the trouble of securing an escort for me. Further, my departure and journey have been noised about. Therefore I see no way to abandon this pilgrimage without affecting my honor and that of my husband, since the thing has gone so far. 
the more so as the journey was undertaken with the full knowledge and consent of my lord, and all and everything carefully considered. Your majesty must not be distressed or annoyed by this, my journey, and in order that you may know everything, I will tell you that I am first going to Marino, and thence, accompanied by Madonna Agnesina and Incognito, shall go to Rome for the purpose of receiving absolution at this, the holy jubilee of the church. I need not see anyone there, for during my stay in Rome, I shall live in the palace of the deceased Cardinal Savelli. The house is a good one, and is exactly what I want, and it is within reach of the Colonna. It is my intention to return soon to Marino, there to spend the greater part of the time. Your Majesty, therefore, need have no further anxiety about my journey, and must not be displeased by it. Although these reasons are sufficient to induce me not only to continue the journey, but to begin it, if I had not already set out, I would relinquish it, not on account of any fear of anything unpleasant that might attend my pilgrimage, but simply to comply with a wish expressed in your Majesty's letter, as I desire to do always. But as I am now here, and as your Excellency will soon receive this letter, I am sure you will approve of my course. I earnestly beg you to do so, and to assure me, by letter addressed to Rome, that you are not displeased, so that I may receive absolution in greater peace and tranquillity. If you do not, I shall suffer great anxiety and grief. I commend myself to Your Excellency's merciful benevolence as Your Majesty's younger sister, Elisabetta. Assisi, March 21, 1500. Agnesina di Montefeltre, mentioned in the letter, Guidobaldo's soulful sister, was married to Fabritius Colonna, who subsequently became one of Italy's greatest captains. She was then twenty-eight years of age. She and her husband lived at the castle of Marino in the Alban Mountains, where in 1490 she bore him Vittoria Colonna, the future ornament of her house. Elisabetta found this beautiful child already betrothed to Ferrante de Valos, son of Marquis Alfonso of Pescara, Ferdinand II of Naples, having brought about the betrothal of the two children as early as 1495 for the purpose of winning over the Colonna, the retainers of the House of Aragon. The Duchess of Urbino actually went to Rome for the purpose of protecting her noble kinswoman, whom she kept incognito. She remained there until Easter. On her way to St. Peter's, she directed anxious glances towards the Belvedere, where the bravest woman of Italy, a prisoner, was grieving her life away. Caterina Sforza, having been confined there since Caesar's return February 26, as is attested by a letter of that date, written by the Venetian ambassador in Rome to his signory. Elisabetta's feelings must have been rendered still more painful by the fact that her own husband, as well as her brother Gonzaga, both of whom were in the service of France, had given the princess up for lost. She had scarcely left Rome when Caterina received news that her uncles Ludovico and Ascanio had fallen into the hands of the King of France. Having, with the aid of Swiss troops, again secured possession of Milan in 1500, they were ignominiously betrayed by the mercenaries at Novara, April 10th. Ludovico was carried away to France, where he died in misery, having spent ten years a prisoner in the Tower of Loche. The once powerful cardinal was likewise taken a captive to France. A great tragedy had occurred in the house of Sforza. What must have been Caterina's distress when she, in her prison, learned that fate had overthrown all her race? Could one transport himself to that environment, he would breathe the oppressive atmosphere with which Shakespeare enveloped his characters.
Catarina's jailers were the two most dreaded men of the age, the Pope and his son. The very thought of what surrounded her must have filled her with terror. In the Belvedere she was in constant dread of Caesar's poison, and it is indeed a wonder that she did escape it. She made an unsuccessful attempt at flight, whereupon Alexander had her removed to the castle of Sant'Angelo. However, certain French gentlemen, in the service of the one who was bent on her destruction, especially Ivo d'Alegre, interceded for her, and the Pope, after she had spent a year and a half in captivity, allowed her to choose Florence for her asylum. He himself commended her to the seigneury in the following letter. Unto my beloved sons, greeting and the apostolic blessing. Our beloved daughter in Christ, the noble lady Caterina Sforza, is on her way to you. She, as you are aware, having for good reasons been held a prisoner by us for a time, has again become the object of our mercy. We, according to our custom and to our pastoral duties, have not only exercised mercy with regard to this Caterina, but also, so far as we, with God's help, were able, have looked with paternal solicitude after her welfare. Therefore, we deem it proper to write you, for the purpose of commending this Caterina to your protection, so that she, having full confidence in our good will towards you, and returning, so to speak, into her own country, may not be deluded in her expectations, and by our recommendation. We therefore shall be glad to learn that she has been well received, and treated by you in gratitude for her having chosen your city for her abode, and owing to your feelings towards us. Given at Rome in St. Peter's, under the Apostolic Seal, July thirteenth, 1501, in the ninth year of our pontificate. Caterina Sforza died in a convent in Florence in 1509. In her fatherland she left a son of the same metal as herself, Giovanni Medici, the last of the great condottieri of the country, who became famous as leader of the black bands. There is a seated figure in marble of this captain, of Herculean strength, with the neck of a centaur, near the church of San Lorenzo in Florence. End of chapter 15